0: Let's just pray. Father of lights, giver of every gift, you alone are good. So every good thing must, by definition, emanate from you. Help us to grow in gratitude, recognizing each gift and returning to the giver with thanks and praise. Every breath of air you allow into our lungs, 20,000 per day, each is a reason for thanks. There's another. There's another breath. And there's another one. We thank you. In every beat of our hearts that pump life around our bodies, 100,000 per day, each is a reason for gratitude. We can't keep up with them. Everything we enjoy, material, spiritual, emotional, relational, every failure for which we're forgiven, far too many to count, it all comes from your generous hand. May we never take for granted either the gifts or the giver. Thank you. Amen. 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 Rachel's going to lead us in our first song before I carry on. She's going to lead us through 10,000 reasons. Bless the Lord. Oh my soul, feel free to stay seated, feel free to stand, feel free to do what's appropriate. You can kneel if you can get back up again, and we're just going to uh, set our hearts on him. Go for it, Rach, thank you. Mm. If you haven't already, if you'd like to take your seats. Thank you, Rach. Who likes doing what they're told? Oh, Derek does. <laughs> right, children, here's a question for you. Do you like doing what you're told? Yeah. Oh, no, at least you're honest. Well done. Would you do whatever a policeman tells you? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. Would you do whatever a lifeguard at a swimming pool or at the beach, if they told you to do something, would you do what they told you? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe, good answer. Yeah, all right, nuance. What about your grandparents? Would you do what your grandparents ask you to do? Uh, uh, oh. Oh. Appreciate the honesty here, though. What about what your teacher tells you to do? Yes, immediately. Oh, good one. What about your mum and dad? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Who knows? Okay, here's another one then. Who knows how to play Simon Says? Who knows the Simon Says game? We're just going to play this just for a moment. Let's see how good you are and listening to what you're told to do and doing it. Grown ups, so you can all join in as well. You don't have to stand up for this, you can stay seated, it's fine. Everybody knows how to play Simon Says. If I say, Simon says, nod your head, you nod your head. If I just say, nod your head, you don't do it. So you've got to listen carefully and do what I tell you. Are you ready? Simon Says, put your hands on your head. Pretty good, pretty good. Simon Says, wiggle your legs. bit of exercise, a bit of aerobics. Simon Says, do jazz hands. Nod your head. Very good, you're still doing jazz hands, that's fine. Simon says you can stop jazz hands. Simon <laughs> says, flap like a bird. Simon says, do a love heart like Mo Farah. Beautiful, this is good looking, this is great. Clap your hands. Oh, culture. Cool Simon says, have a stretch. Get ready for your exercises, have a good stretch. Simon says, do weight Oh, this is a bit good. And go swimming. Very good. Oh, Mr. Benson caught you out. Simon Says, you can stop now. Well done. I caught a couple of you out. Give yourselves a little round of applause. I think In the majority, you did very, very well. A round of applause. That's right. See, games, like Simon Says, are fun. None of us actually always like being told what to do, do we? We all like to think maybe we know better. Or sometimes we just have... We have other things we'd rather do instead, don't we? But when it comes to authority figures, like even just in that moment, I had a small degree of authority to tell you what to do and you had to listen carefully and to respond. And when it comes to authority figures like parents, like police officers, lifeguards and so on, they're there for us to obey because it's for our safety and for our benefit. And in a moment, we're going to hear about a time when someone, he understood what it, really meant to respect authority and how that power works. He understood that. And through it, through this story, the Bible teaches us so much about who Jesus really is. This um, this man, he's a, he's a Roman centurion. We're going to read it from the Bible in a minute. And uh, he understood that authority, he understood how that works when someone has the power to command particularly a miracle in this case, and for it to happen. He understood how that worked, not just because of the words that were spoken, but because of the authority that person, Jesus, possessed. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 7. We're going to read the first 10 verses, and then there's another story later on that we're going to watch on video. There's two stories today we're going to look at. First of all, let's read from Luke chapter 7, first 10 verses, where Jesus heals the centurion's servant, and it goes like this. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he, Jesus, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. And he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Praise God. Praise God. Lost me place, look. This centurion, this Roman soldier, he's most likely not even Italian, actually. He's definitely a foreigner. He's most likely not Italian, as as an aside. In fact, the Roman army was um, mainly made of people from many other nationalities, and through their many years' service in the Roman army, they then acquired Roman citizenship. But either way, this guy, he's not an Israelite, and he clearly yet has an affection for the people he's ruling over. He's a man who... Loves Israel, it says in verse 5. He's part of this army that rules over this nation now. But it still says that he loves Israel. And he's invested in its infrastructure in this local vicinity, this district. Not just in a way that's self-serving or just simply doing what he's told. But he's done it thoughtfully. Because it says he's ensured that they have a new functional place of worship too. They said he's built our synagogue for us. And he clearly also has affection for his servant as well. He, He could have just acquired another. He could have just got another servant. But no, he wants him to be well. It says in verse 2 that he was highly valued by the centurion. And yet the centurion himself, he doesn't come to Jesus and ask for help. He uses a third party. He, he, He speaks to the elders of the Jews and he sends them to speak with Jesus, which shows us that he actually has power in and of himself, not just amongst the Roman contingent, amongst the soldiers he's responsible for. He's also able to command Jewish leaders to go on his behalf he has that power but he gets to use it he uses it thoughtfully in a culturally sensitive way a really appropriate way to approach Jesus and the fact that these Jewish elders that they go on his behalf quite happily without arguing indicates that he truly has favor amongst the Jewish people this man is a respected and valued part of that fabric of that local society you see he has authority in his position as a centurion over his soldiers but he also, he's earned authority elsewhere amongst the local people as well. And so, as an army officer, he's responsible for 60 to 100 men. But also with higher ranking officers above him, he understands how authority works. And he's seen in Jesus, someone who openly operates in incredible power, but also in clear humility and submission to something else. And this centurion, he understands Jesus' he understands not only that it's not a magic trick he clearly believes this is real he wouldn't be asking in the first place but also he understands that if Jesus has the authority to make ailing bodies well in the first place when up close and personal he knows that Jesus can do that from a distance as well so this centurion wonderfully he's connected the dots that Jesus's power is truly unique and jaw-dropping, but also one that is performed in all humility and part of a greater purpose. There's, you know, there's something else going on here that I've never seen before, and is all-powerful. You see, the word authority, it simply means it's the moral or legal right to affect change. Or in other words, someone in authority is someone who has the power to make change. And like the centurion, he's this man who's been given human authority over his soldiers, but he's also earned authority amongst the Jewish people as well and in a similar way but even far far greater the Bible shows us that Jesus while he's already eternally divine by nature he's also been given divine authority by the Father and he's earned the right in his work upon the cross as well just to make sure that we haven't missed the point the Bible tells us that Jesus is authoritative by nature because of who he is, he's authoritative by his inheritance, what the Father has given him, and he's also authoritative by his achievements as well. The v- verses that tell us this. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together you see simply by being the creator jesus rules over all authorities they've all appeared after him <laughs> they've all come along after him they they are also allowed to exist because of him and they continue to exist beneath him by his very nature alone jesus is the authority Of all authorities. But also, the Father's given him authority as well. And his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, the first couple of verses, Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come. He's talking about he's about to go to the cross. He says, The hour has come. Glorify your son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Even before the cross, Jesus had also been given. The power to effect change by the Father in order to give us eternal life. It's huge authority that's given to him by the Father as well. And then finally, in Philippians chapter 2, that famous passage, or it's like a hymn, uh, verses 6 onwards, it says, Though he, Jesus, was made, was it, was was made? He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself. Nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, And under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, by humbling himself, even to death on a cross in our place, Jesus has had bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. See, he's earned it as well. He's backed it up with his works and his actions. He's put his money where his mouth is. Jesus has all authority by nature. He has all authority by his inheritance and he has all authority by his achievements as well. Jesus is the leading authority in the universe, full stop. And the centurion recognized some of this. He saw this. And Jesus, therefore, marveled at his faith. It says in in verse 9, Jesus marveled at this guy's faith. Not because that faith was big, simply that his view of Jesus was big, which is very different. So with that in mind... I'm just going to press pause for a moment on these stories before we go into the next part of this chapter. Rachel is just going to lead us through a song that helps us keep this big view of Jesus. She's going to sing, what a beautiful name. So with that song in mind, with this big view of who Jesus is and the authority he possesses, then we continue straight away in this chapter in Luke into another story. There's another incident we're going to come across. We're not going to read it, we're going to watch it this time. Um... There's a moment here where Jesus exposes more fully his dominion over all that we see and know, everything that is visible and invisible. If you just play the uh, video for us, please, Paul. Thank you. Brings a lump to my throat. I love how just done such an astonishing thing and then he just slips away quietly. <laughs> I love his humility there. It's lovely. See, death is something none of us can escape, isn't it? It's just a reality of life and we hate it, and we delight when we hear tales of lives being saved, don't we? We love those stories. I've had, I, I've personally, I've had elated relatives during my ambulance career, just expressing their gratitude to me, and my crewmates, and different uh, different situations when we've when we have made a literal difference to their loved ones' otherwise fatal situation. People, we people, we just we are stirred by death being deferred, aren't we? Um, including. <laughs> we have to re- face the fact, though, even with regard to this fella, Death still comes at some point, doesn't it? It's something we can't avoid completely. But we do enjoy hearing of death being deferred because there is something in us that knows it's not right. Death's not right. My friend, um, Rachel Nightingale. Ma- many of you will know the name of the name, Maurice Nightingale. He's one of the apostles of our relational mission family. His wife... Um, has been telling this story about wh- when their, their cat died in, this is seven years ago. But their cat had a brilliant name, it's called Sumo. I don't know if he's really, really, really big, very, very overweight, but they called him Sumo. I never met the cat. But it was a, they just had a traumatic start to one day with what happened to their cat because the neighbour alerted them, knocked on the door and said, Sumo's outside, he's been knocked down. They found him, he'd, he'd been knocked down and killed by a car. So it was, it was awful, but Rachel and their son Dan um, took him to the vet. And, p- and paid money to have him created, uh, cre- created, cre- cremated. That'd be nice, to to be cremated. So the, the vets took him away and sorted him out, and uh, there were lots of tears and goodbyes and all that. And then Dan had to go to school, and Rachel had to go off to work, and she had to from work. She had to phone their daughter Becca and just break her heart. They loved this cat, break her heart. And then Morris, that late later that day, he had to go and pick up their um, their other son was coming home that day for the weekend, and he had to break the news to him in the. In the car, like sumo's sumo's been killed. And on arriving home that evening, they're just, the house is different because the family just weren't looking forward to coming home with no no sumo to greet. He was always there to greet them when they came home. So they came home and sumo walked in the house. And there was much confused joy in the home that sumo's alive. But they had one question Whose cat have they just cremated? (laughs) It wasn't sumo. (laughs) They still don't know um joking aside something leaps in us when death is not only deferred but even more so when we learn of death's defeat that is a hope and a desire in all of us and there's a reason because death is not meant to be it's a result of our brokenness humanity's sin our turning away from the giver of life because death is separation physical and spiritual death is separation and it's something that we've caused ultimately as a human race but in jesus the great reconciler we discover someone who is even bigger than what the Bible describes as our final enemy. The Bible says that death is our last enemy. And we discover that even Jesus is even bigger than death. And in this story we've just seen on the screen, Jesus, the one in whom all authority resides, he proves that his authority has zero limits. Without being asked in that moment with that widow and her son on the funeral pyre, Without being asked and without any need for faith to be present amongst any of those people, Jesus simply brings that man back to life. And a devastated woman gets her son back. A crowd are amazed. And God is glorified. Jesus' power knows no limits. And that doesn't just count for physical death either, but also spiritual death. Because, of course, following his own death upon the cross standing in our place. Jesus, from that moment, also ensured that death did not have the final word, but that he did. He rose again so that we too can live a new life in him for now and for eternity. Jesus has conquered even death. His authority spans all things. And I'm going to say that again. His authority spans all things. There's nothing it doesn't span. And his command stretches across the heavenlies, into the spiritual realm as well as the material one. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 says, Our Saviour Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus has abolished death. Physical death still happens for us on this earth, but in him you can find eternal life. He has abolished death and brought us life and immortality. And then Revelation chapter 1, there's that lovely moment where Jesus is best friend on this planet, John. He sees Jesus in all his glory. He gets a vision of, of Jesus as truly the Ancient of Days. And he falls as if dead at his feet. And I just love Jesus' tenderness in that moment. He just touches him. And Jesus says, fear not, I am the first and the last. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the key of death and Hades. He's the key holder. He wields the power. He's in charge. No one else. And so there are, there are many implications for us in what to do with this. There's implications about our future help, hope, yeah, our actual deaths and, and eternal hope of what lies beyond that. In Jesus, you can find perfect security. But also it affects us now about many of the things uh, we've, we may fear, things we worry about, things we're facing. Worries about the future, what that might hold. If Jesus has complete authority over sin and death, then that is why we don't need to fear anything. And that's why the Bible tells us not to repeatedly. Fear not, fear not, fear not. There's enough fear nots in the Bible for every day of the year. It tells us repeatedly, not just because we'll have a friend to walk alongside us through stuff. No, it's because that friend is the king of all kings and Lord of all lords and he is fighting for us he's fighting for his family he's fighting for his wonderful promises to come true and they will if Jesus is the ruling authority in this universe then nothing's going to get in his way nothing and whether that's man's schemes whether that's the devil's ploys whether that's us whether that's death itself nothing's going to get in his way of achieving his end goal of gathering his family home and us living forever in him. And just like that centurion earlier, he simply acknowledged Jesus' authority on earth. And just like he did, we can do the same. That is where we discover what it means to be men and women of faith too. Not in mustering up more faith. I must make more faith. I must believe in it more. No, it's in simply, like the centurion, looking to Jesus, recognizing him for who he is. That stirs faith, not focusing on how, how hard we believe it, if that makes sense. Looking to Jesus and simply recognising him as the one who is good and rules over all things, that's what stirs my heart to believe and to trust him. And so, you might be facing opposition right now. You might be facing difficulties. You might be facing sickness. You might be facing other trials of other kinds. You might be facing even death itself. But whatever we face in this life, we can know that Jesus is is always where we find hope. Jesus is where we find the answer. He will bring us through. This doesn't automatically remove—I uh, mean a removal of the problem. There, there are plenty of other stories in our own lives, but also in the Bible where things go very differently, but no less wonderfully for people who just simply trust him and he carries us through. But it does also mean, ultimately, that he ensures he gets the glory by gathering a people and bringing that family safely home. Paul, I'm just going to end in a minute, but Paul said to Timothy, in two, Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, he says to Timothy, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. That's it. What's that? Seven words. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. That's a good motto for life, I think. I'm say it again. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. He's saying, keep your attention on the risen one. Don't let your laser target waver. Keep your attention on him. He's talking to a young man, Timothy. was this young pastor who was prone to fear and timidity. He's prone to worry about what other people thought about him. He was sharing in suffering at the time, we find out in a few verses earlier. And yet Paul tells him, keep your eyes on the risen Jesus who is over everything. That's where Timothy was to find hope in the present, where he was to find a path through his difficulties And that was where he was to find a hope for the future. Just simply by looking to Jesus who reigns over sin and death. So let's do that. Let's keep our attention on the one who can and who does. Like the centurion simply understood. And like the widow found out. Rachel's going to lead us through the final song. um, And then we're going to pray. Just as... Uh, per our earlier theme, right at the beginning, about gratitude and thankfulness. This is the song that helps us do that. And it lets, uh, uh, as, we, as we hear this song, you may be familiar with it, you may not. It's um, written by someone who used to be at City Church Canterbury. While well, well this song um, professes this um, thankfulness, let's keep our eyes on the one who is greater than sin, greater than death. Let's be thankful for who he is. Let's be thankful for what he's done, for what he's doing, and for what he will do. Amen.